0: Jeremiah chapter 1, and starting at verse 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the thirteenth year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again, what do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting towards us from the north. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready, stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord.
1: Let's just pray again, shall we? Father, we come afresh to your word. We've already prayed for this session, but we do ask for attentive hearts and minds. And though these truths probably are very familiar to all of us here, I just pray they'd come across freshly and, um, I don't know, reinforce the call that you've given to us. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, It it seems to me that um, as Christians for the last 150 years or so, we, we've had a very, very easy ride in the UK and things are beginning to change. And certainly for me, I, I've said this in many situations now, for me, I, I find it hard to adjust to the new sort of antagonism, the sort of thing that we heard yesterday from Sharon sort of, you know, knocks me back a little, a little bit. But of course, actually, what we're beginning to experience and perhaps will in a much greater way, we don't know, is normal Christianity. Normal Christianity has always been rubbing against the grain. Normal Christianity has never been respected and esteemed by society. Normal Christianity, and for the vast majority of Christians in the world today, they are under huge pressure or persecution. And even today you hear of things, you know, was it last weekend or the weekend before now when that huge church in China was just, just demolished by the authorities there? And uh, again, we're sort of shocked by this, but this is what Christians have exp- been experiencing throughout the centuries. Hudson Taylor's um, biography, the first sort of official one that came out by... Um, Mr. and Mrs. Howard Taylor, Dr. and Mrs. Howard Taylor, was in two volumes. They're worth reading. It's a bit of hagiography, in that the, the, all the weaknesses, etc., glossed over. There are two volumes: the growth of the soul and the growth of a work. And um, I, I've read them both, but I have to say I find the growth of the soul most fascinating. What was it that the Lord was doing in him to prepare Hudson Taylor to do the great work that, uh, that he did? Um, where was Hudson Taylor from? Um, oh, sorry, I just forgot. It was Yorkshire, yes. I just, uh, just, just wanted to mention that. Um, and, sorry, from Barnsley he was, yes. A lot of... Good folk have come from Barnsley. And verse 4 of the chapter we've just read, Jeremiah chapter 1, the word of the Lord came to me. I think that phrase appears 123 times in the Old Testament. The word of the Lord came to me. Now I say again, we are not called to be prophets, but there's a lot we can learn from Jeremiah, from this prophet and from the others indeed. But I think my favorite is... Is Jeremiah. I think um, of all the Old Testament characters that I'd like to meet first in heaven and spend a little bit of time with, it would be Jeremiah. I, I, I love this man and I think I love him because of his sensitivity, his passion and yet for all that he went through but he remained faithful. I have in my study uh, a picture, and sadly it's not the original, but Rembrandt's picture of of Jeremiah weeping over Jerusalem. If you don't know that picture, you ought to Google it and have a look. And uh, the the man who pleaded for this city and then sees it destroyed. But there's no sense of, I told you so, in the expression of, of Jeremiah according to Rembrandt. No, there's great, great grief. He was born during the reign of the wicked king Manasseh. That's quite something. We, we you know, we've just read about Josiah. Yes, that's 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 when um, the word of the Lord came to him. But he was born in this evil period in the nation, uh, in the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, Billy Graham called Manasseh the wickedest man who ever lived. And of course, he came to some sort of knowledge of God at the end, but uh, and he was brought up. In, in lovely surrounds a little village called Anathoth apparently about three miles outside Jerusalem and he was in the family of a priest and he was quite a well respected well known priest so he was brought up in this very godly atmosphere at home surrounded by tremendous wickedness all around now. It's just worth reminding ourselves, and I've got nothing new to say today, it's all old truths, but I hope they come across freshly, of the difference between the priest and the prophets. Because I think most of us here, if we're going to align ourselves to one or the other, and you need both, but most of us would be more akin to the prophets in the sense of what we're doing. The priest duties were very, very predictable. They were all written down in the law. There were daily things. Just think of this. These things I'm about to list were done daily. There were daily sacrifices to offer. I think if I offered one animal sacrifice, it would emotionally traumatize me for weeks. But they were doing this every day. There were lepers who would be daily examined. I read in my quiet time today about the laws concerning leprosy, leprosy of people and clothes and, and buildings, and it's pretty tedious. But, but God is really saying, I want you to understand there's a difference between the clean and the unclean. And the priests were involved in distinguishing um, whether these lepers really were lepers or whether they were being cured or whether they'd not got leprosy at all. There were unclean people to exclude. That wouldn't have been easy. They're working in the tabernacle or the temple facilities, the and they're excluding certain people. There were cleansed people whom they could reinstate, and that would be a lovely duty that they, they had. There were official ceremonies to observe. There was the sanctuary to care for day by day. And on top of all that, there was the law to teach. that this is the priests. But basically, the, the priests were working to conserve the past. Working to conserve what is. They were the conservatives, if you want, of the day and age. They they were keeping that which has happened continuing to happen. Now, the prophets were very different. They were working to change what is. They were working to change the present. They were out seeking to call people from going astray and bring them back to faith through repentance. Repentance. They were addressing not just individuals, but the whole nation. They were speaking even to those people who did not want to hear, but they were called to go and proclaim to them. The, interestingly as well, whereas the priests came from one particular tribe, the tribe of Levi, these came from any tribe. And they had no fixed income. The, 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 um, the priests did, but they had no fixed income like that. But they were there called by God to go and preach the word to the people. I remember Enoch Powell, if if you're very young, you probably don't even know the name Enoch Powell, but he was a quite right-wing politician. And I remember hearing him once on the radio program, Any Questions, saying, uh, he was famous, by the way, for his rivers of blood speech, which really turned uh, the media against him anyway, and probably many of the people. But uh, I remember him on Any Questions once saying, what this country needs today is prophets and evangelists. Uh, And he was right. We do need priests, don't misunderstand. We need the pastors, we need the teachers, the equivalent of the priests. But we do need prophets and evangelists. And I came across this lovely sort of insight into what a prophet is. Uh, it was in one, one of the commentaries about one of the minor, minor prophets. And it simply said, some people have something to say. Some people have to say something. But a prophet is somebody who has something to say and has to say it. And I think that's a very, very good definition. These are the prophets. There is something laid very heavily within them. They have to share it. They just, they just cannot keep that fire burning in their bones. They have to get it out and about. So, so Jeremiah, born in 646 BC and um, born, as I say, outside the, the, the city of, of, um, of Jerusalem in Anathos. Now, having a father who was a leading priest you would expect that Jeremiah would follow on in the priesthood. And I'm sure he was nurtured for that, but of course we know that's different because when he was about 20 years of age, God called him from serving at the altars of the temple to being a prophet to his nation and, of course, to some extent, towards the end of the book of Jeremiah, to the nations all around. He was a sensitive soul. His immediate reaction on being called by God to do this was, oh, I'm too young. And then I'm not experienced. And then, look, I, I, I lack eloquence. I, I sometimes watch Christians on television and uh, being grilled for, you know, t- say Andrea Williams, for example, so articulate, so au fait with the facts. And they sort of just pour out of at rip-roaring speed. And, and I think, well, I don't have that eloquence. I don't have that ability to recall things and to state them concisely. And, and this was, Jeremy, I, I just couldn't do that. I, I've heard people like John Lennox say debating with Richard Dawkins, etc. And I think, well, I know these arguments. They may be put more eloquently by him, but I haven't got the ability to think as quickly as a Lennox does in arguing. And, and this is how Jeremiah is. You're calling me to this, Lord. I'm young. I'm inexperienced. I just am not eloquent. I don't have that ability to articulate to get truth over in the way that you want me to do so. He hated the limelight. Of course we know from Jeremiah chapter sixteen that God called him not to marry. And he would have been any other ordinary guy, he would have had the, you know the normal desires and ambitions and but God said, No, no, I want you to be set aside not to marry. That was a huge daily burden for him. Now Ezekiel, because God took away his wife and God said to him, Don't Don't weep, don't mourn over, don't cry about the death of your wife. And a similar sort of issue that's being touched on and used to illustrate a truth to the people round about. But he did faithfully pass on all that God told him to do. Over, listen to it, 40 years. And during the reign of five different kings. And one of the reasons why the book of Jeremiah is a little bit difficult for us to to study. Is because it's not chronologically. It doesn't start from the age of 20 and go through to when he dies. It it chops and changes and comes back to another king. And you've got to sort it out a little bit. Of course there are books that enable us to do that. But all through that period these were very difficult and dangerous times. Now in the time of Josiah there was a sort of... Was it revival... Or was it a sort of taking back on board some of the religious formalities without it ever really transforming the hearts of the people? And I think we'd all agree it was that because immediately he'd gone, everything began to fall apart again. They were very difficult and dangerous times. There was a battle going on politically for supremacy between Babylon and Assyria and Egypt. And poor little Israel, Judah caught in the middle of all of that. So things were politically in turmoil. But the battle was much harder than that. Because spiritually there was declension. There was, in the early chapters of the book of Jeremiah, we get the word backsliding. There was backsliding. If I can just give a little aside. I think the most hurtful thing to me in being a Christian. Is when there's been a lack of integrity. From Christians, and you, can, you sort of expect it from non-Christians. But when I hear about, so these Christians are doing this, and that's happened at work, and you work for a Christian organisation or a church, and this is happening to you, uh, I, I always, I just can't credit it. But it, sadly, it's happening. And and the nation, they would backslidden, and he, he calls to them, doesn't he, to come back? He doesn't give his opinions. But he does preach the word of God. And he proclaimed it with absolute certainty, even though the message wasn't a very, very popular one. He proclaimed that there was going to be judgment. And you people who seem to be doing so well and nicely at the moment, this is all going to change. It's interesting when the knowledge that the entire role of the Nazi party had been discovered containing 8 million names when this was found at the collapse of the German um, reign do you know suddenly millions of people were in a state of panic because they knew they who'd been on the side of conformity and doing what everybody else was doing now were in a situation where they were going to be dealt with severely one moment power and prestige and wealth and the next moment There would be investigations and, of course, prison and for some there would be execution. Everything suddenly reversed. Everything suddenly changed. And Jeremiah was saying to the people, this is going to happen to you. But you imagine going to the religious leaders and the political leaders and and to those who've got influence and authority and saying, you know, all this is going to change. You are going to be judged. God is going to turn the table. It it doesn't sit comfortably, does it? It, it? It doesn't sort of satisfy the taste of ordinary palates so as he preached and I mentioned this yesterday he spoke against the false prophets he spoke against the princes he spoke against the priests and he spoke against the people he said all of you are guilty and this phrase this idea comes several times in the book of Jeremiah all of you are guilty of refusing to listen to the voice of God now the false prophets were adjusting their message to suit the hearer but Jeremiah said no I have to say this is what God says and this is what I am going to say. He was called right at the very beginning to root out, to pull down, to destroy, to throw down and then to build and to plant. Six of them, six tasks, four of them were negative and all of them were dangerous things to say and you know, to the ordinary hero, probably very depressing. If I mention the name Joe Moore to you, do you remember who she was? She was the Labour Party activist who, when 9/11 happened and those twin towers came down, she, she, whatever it was, texted or emailed. She sent around the message to the Labour Party: "Now is a time to bury bad news." Well, there was nothing of that with Jeremiah. Every moment was the moment to share, yes, bad news, and then to say what they could do about it. Jeremiah refused to bury bad news. His relatives plotted to kill him. Now, Jesus said that's going to happen to believers. My brother is not a believer. And my heart goes out to him. I long for him to be saved. He's, he's four years older than me. And of late, I've just, I've, I've simply prayed, Lord, that I just pray he wouldn't have a sudden death. Maybe on his deathbed he might have time to come to Christ. But my brother hasn't opposed me. He hasn't plotted to kill... Well, as far as I know, maybe he has. (laughs) Um, He hasn't plotted to kill me. But imagine if your relatives, your brothers, your sisters, your cousins are plotting against you. But but it wasn't only that. For him, it was his neighbours as well. And there was no CCTV to protect your house in those days. You know, these were very vulnerable homes and... Neighbours, relatives, all plotting against him. And then he was imprisoned. In, in fact, he was imprisoned again and again. He, he, you know, he, and prison wasn't pleasant. I don't, I, I think sometimes we're a little bit glib about prison in the UK. You know, I'm willing to go to prison. I was talking on Monday on the way down to a guy who's written a tract about homosexuality etc he's so burdened that our children are being taught these things he's written a tract and you know we've joked together because i've done a bit of oh i better not admit it but i've done a bit of editing on it for him and uh um and um uh you know i said i'll see you in prison etc but i think if you went to prison over an issue like that prison would be horrendous i really do think that and it was for jeremiah he was put in the stocks. Now, again, you just read it, you know. David quoted something yesterday, didn't you? I've forgotten you said that's four words, wasn't it? Three words, I've forgotten. But, and, and, and then you have to stop and think, oh, wow, what has just been said in these three, four words? Put in the stocks. Wow, what is that? These, these aren't just rotten tomatoes. You know, things lobbed at you, and, and you're humiliated and probably spat upon and, and hit and all the rest. He was lowered by ropes, into a miry dungeon, and it wouldn't just be nice mud, it would be human excrement, the filth, the smell, the flies. The, the, uh, horrendous, really. Derided. And then accused of treachery and treason. And, and, and again, this, this, oh, we don't agree with your message, but actually, you are, you are our enemy as far as the nation is concerned. That, 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 that's what he was being told. And then he was eventually, as you know, carried against his own will to Egypt. His writings were cut up and burned. Have you ever pressed the delete button when you didn't mean to, after you've worked on a computer for 30 minutes? And it's totally gutting, isn't it? You've lost 30 minutes of work. I can't go back to it till the next day when that happens. I find it absolutely frustrating. But imagine you've written the scriptures and you see them cut up. It's the only time, I think, in the authorised version, anyway, when the word penknife is used. You know, it's Swiss army knife, cuts cuts up and it's burned. Incredibly discouraging. The people were just raising their voices. Yes, against Jeremiah. But I think. Through it all, they're really they're raising their voices against God. And I think we need to remember that when we're abused verbally in the open air or doing door to door work or just somebody comes and says something very cutting, humiliating. Actually, the abuse is not to us, is it? It is, it, it is the Lord they're abusing. Um, Saul of Tarsus. Yes, he was, he, 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 he was beating, trying to imprison those, um, those believers in Damascus. But the Lord says Saul. Why do you persecute me? Why do you persecute me? He warned the people that Nebuchadnezzar would conquer them. He warned the people that Nebuchadnezzar would destroy the temple. And he warned them that they'd be taken into captivity. And he, he spells out the, the, the length of time for 70 years. And yet through it all. He pleads with the people his great desire his heart burden is that they might repent and receive forgiveness but he is faithful about judgment he doesn't just gloss over certain truths and say oh yeah you know God does love you no 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 he's also saying God is a God of judgment but he preaches grace and forgiveness and love oh earth 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 hear the word of the Lord this is Jeremiah I just find it all incredibly moving that this man was called to go through all of this. But right at the beginning in the passage that Ellie read to us, you know, God says, I want you to go where I'll send you. And I want you to speak what I'll tell you. And I don't want you to be afraid of the people. I want you, as it were, to be a messenger boy. I want you to be a carrier pigeon. You're you're not to, we touched on this yesterday, just choose your message and adjust it. And and God says, if you look at it in verse 5, this is my purpose for your life. Now, I don't know whether we, we see this. I think it's all too easy. Once you're involved in full-time Christian ministry especially, it becomes a sort of profession for us. This is what we do. Now, we want to be professional in the way we do things and to do things well and properly. And I think there are certain basic etiquettes that we should follow. I don't know, is this... This is just me, I think my wife would say it is. But if, I'm, if I go out for Sunday lunch, you know, I'm preaching in a church, I go out for Sunday lunch, I drop them a little note and say, thank you for having me for Sunday lunch. I just don't want to, as it were, give the impression, I take this for granted, that this is what you do for me, you know. And I, I just think there are certain basic things we, we do. And, and we mustn't lose those. Just because we are held in esteem, maybe in our church or our locality, by Christians doesn't mean we can start to abuse their generosity, their kindness, their, their courtesies. So we do things in a professional way. But we don't become so professional that actually we've lost the heart that is driving our ministry. The, the burden that, that the Lord used to bring us into the ministry. God's purpose for your life and mine is that, yeah, we're doing what we're doing. This is God's call on us. Would I like to do it differently? Yes, I would. Actually, no, this is God's call on me to be here. It, it, it would be nice if, you know, I had the crowds that Billy Graham has had, but I don't. You know, very often you're talking to a small group of people, and um, and then you notice that some of those are asleep, aren't they, Paul? Oh, sorry. So didn't mean to wake you up there. I just spotted you at that moment. But I have been spotting you for the last five minutes. So it's a... Um, <laughs> And, uh, you know, it it would be like, but no, actually, this is what God has called me to. Here I am, and this is what I'm doing. This is God's purpose for my life. It was for Jeremiah's in verse 5. But then, more than that, he says, yeah, this is what I have for you. But verse 8 and verse 19, I am with you. Now, again, we talked about this yesterday. But but let's remember this. I'm, I'm walking down a drive to a house, and there's an animal on the other side of the of the door, and it's barking. To be honest, even if it's meowing, I'm scared. I I hate animals. You know, it's uh, the best sort of cat to me is a dead one. And um, but anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, and, it, and if any of you feel the same, but you've got a cat, look, I'll come and run it over for you for a five. Okay, now I'll do it quickly. I'll be merciful. And uh, anyway, but uh, but uh, but God is with me. He's always with me. And you go up to a crowd of young people. In um, I don't know in the city square and you think oh it's just me against them and, but the Lord is with us it's not just me against them it's it's the Lord and he has me and we're going to talk to these people and, and more than that if you look at verses 9 and 10 and 17 to 19 God is not only really saying I'll be with you I'll give you my presence but he, I'll give you my power so the the little words that I use the tiny little tract with what 600 words on it that I distribute. So small, so apparently insignificant. Hey, but just a minute. God, by his power, can take these and use them in a way that um, I could never dream of. I love Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation. So it's not just an argument to be discussed, a philosophy to be debated. It is a power to be unleashed. When I speak about Jesus Christ, him crucified and risen, there is a power there. Now, I'm so familiar with those words and those concepts, but God takes those words, those concepts. By his spirit, he takes what seems so ordinary and uses it in an extraordinary way. He does. And, and therefore, we, we, we proclaim and we pray. But one has to say about Jeremiah, he was called to go through a period of suffering. And I think if we are walking with the Lord and serving him, it will not be long before there is suffering. Now, naturally, I run away from suffering. I don't like suffering. You talk to me for two or three minutes about injections and I get a pain in my left arm. And um, I, I just it's as if I'm having one. Just by talking, I'm scared of all these things, you know. I naturally hate the concept of suffering. But God uses suffering. And over and over again, the Lord Jesus spoke about suffering. But the point is that as we pass through tough times, and it may be rejection... From the people we love most and have served and all the rest, whatever it is, as we, as, as we pass through these times, no matter how difficult, we can comfort ourselves with the thought that God never wastes any pain. God never wastes any tears. God never wastes any time. God never wastes any, any, any toil. God uses all these things. He can use them to mold us To make us more like the Lord Jesus. But he also uses these things to portray the crucified, the suffering Christ. Our suffering and pain is sort of reincarnating, if I can put it like that, the truth that Jesus suffered and died to save the lost world. You get that in Colossians chapter 1, of course. So sometimes when we are alone, when we shed our tears, when we're going through hardships and difficulties and being misunderstood, and all those things can happen a single day, let's remind ourselves that God has a purpose even for that. And if you're not experiencing loneliness and times of despondency and wondering what's the point of it all, I wonder whether you're really engaged in ministry as as God would have us be. Because it seems to me from Jeremiah... Part of God's call on his life was not only to proclaim, but to suffer. And when we look back on our lives, perhaps we'll be able to see, but we certainly will in eternity, that God has so ordered things so that we would fit in to a position where we can fulfill the ministry that God has for us. And all these tears and hardships and difficulties, etc., have all been for a purpose. God will take us all through very, very strange experiences. Andrew talking about Sazra. You know, is, is this just Satan being at work? Well, maybe. But we know Satan to Jesus must bow. So God is not going to waste what they've been through in the last couple of years. And using it all. Maybe to bring them to a greater sense of dependence. Maybe to mould them. I don't know why. But God is using these things. And he does in our lives as well. Now, Jeremiah was commanded to proclaim, and he was to confront the times, as I said, to kings, to priests, to princes, to prophets, people. They were all following terrible vices. The poor were being plundered. I, I just want to pause there a second, if I may, because I do think as evangelicals we've got to be a little bit careful in that we'll speak out against so the transgender issue for example or homosexual marriage or abortion etc I'm I'm sure we're right to do so in the right setting but let's remember let's remember the poor as well we're to speak out as well about injustice, we're not suddenly become becoming liberation theologians to speak against injustice and against poverty, it is all part of the cycle of wickedness that we're confronting in the land there was theft there was murder there was adultery. The innocent were being falsely accused. Justice, so-called, could be bought. There was idolatry. And Jeremiah spoke against all of these things. He was warning his people and neighbouring Israel against the sins that they were committing. Now, yeah, you would make excuses if you called to do that. Lord, I'm not a speaker. I really, I'm too young for all of this. But no, God said... You may not feel that you're the most qualified to do what I'm asking you to do, but I am asking you to do this. And and I feel that as well. I, I went to a very good school, but I didn't do well at the school. And... Um, you know, I, I went to a good university, but I didn't do well at the university. I somehow managed to scrape something, but I've no idea how, really. And, uh, and actually, I look at some of my Christian friends and think, wow, you would be much more able to do what I'm supposed to be doing. You'd be, you'd do it far better than I would. But actually, God didn't call them to do it. For some reason, he thought, right, <laughs> let's use Roger, you know. And, and that's probably true of you. You look at yourself and think, oh, I'm not really very gifted. You know, I... I just get tongue-tied, I haven't got the argument, I'm not very good at disciplining myself to study. And uh, say, do, you, do you feel like that? I do anyway. And Lord, you could have done it much better with so-and-so. But, he's chosen us. And he calls him to stand in the gap. He calls him to be out of step. He calls him to stand alone. He calls him to resist the crowds. He calls him to swim against the tide. God answered the arguments that he raised, you know, with the, the almond tree, and then with the, the boiling pots, And he said, no, 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 I've got something for you and I want you to do it. And it's all according to my purpose. I knew you, I formed you, I sanctified you, I appointed you. And Jeremiah, you're going to be like a fortified city. He didn't feel like that. You're going to be like a, an iron pillar didn't feel like that. You're going to be like a bronze wall. It didn't feel like that. But you will be. I go to the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 2 verse 6. Who is sufficient for these things? And the answer is our sufficiency is of God. So when you're starting out, and if you're like me, the, the beginning of something is always tough you know I'm going I'm starting a mission tomorrow just for four days and I hope they're not listening but I don't particularly want to go there <laughs> they are no you start again new house to live in new Christians to get to know new setting tomorrow I'm speaking of Burns evening a Robbie Burns I've never been to one of those before but Read a book of poetry of Robert Burns. Talk about doing your head in, but anyway. And um, sorry for my Scottish friends. It's uh, what what gobbledygook he spoke, and he just does it in a Scottish accent, so nobody knows what he's saying. And um, uh, but anyway, and um, you know, an old lang syne. What does that mean? <laughs> is that speaking in tongues, old lang syne? It's uh, but anyway, and um, you know, and you think oh, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And yet our sufficiency is of God. Five kings then came and went, one or two actually, were only for a matter of months, but for 40 years, despite rejection and ridicule and threats, he kept doing it. Was he a sorrowful, mournful sort of character? Maybe, we call him the weeping prophet. I don't know whether he's he's Mark here from, from Exeter, there he is. I've never seen Mark when he's not smiling. And then you hear what he does, and he does door to door work. You think, how can he keep smiling when he's doing door to door work, and there are dogs and cats, and and yet he's always smiling, isn't he? And and somehow, it's spending time with God in such a a real way that when we go out into this hostile environment, the, the, the sort of well, the shining face that Moses had is there. And we need that. And can I just say, guys, most of us here are full-time Christian workers. And we shouldn't really need it to be reminded about our prayer, uh, sorry, our quiet times. That should be, you know, the most basic thing. We get up, we shave, we have breakfast, etc. And, and it should be absolutely basic that we, we have our quiet times. But as full-time workers, surely there should be a more in-depth reading day by day. More in-depth praying. Sometimes I think, Roger, is that it? Ten minutes of prayer and off you go. And I'm a full-time Christian worker. And I'll never forget Alec Matthias saying to a group of evangelists, if you are meeting with God at a time convenient to you, you are cheating the Lord. That morning by morning, he'll speak to us. We'll hear his voice according to Isaiah 50, verse 4. Guys, have we become sloppy in this? We're going out into this hostile environment. We want to rescue the perishing. We want to win souls. Are we really praying about things? I would beg us all to make sure that every week, if at all possible, we are going to at least one really doing with business with God prayer meeting. It's not sufficient just to have a few little prayers at the end of a, of a home group. Where, a, a prayer meeting where you're really meeting with God and, and praying over issues and grappling with issues with God. We've lost out on that, but we mustn't. We're full-time Christian workers. There should be a greater, greater dependence on the Lord. More study, more reading, more more um, devotion to the Lord. For 40 years, with all this rejection, etc., he carries on preaching. He must have had a close walk with God to be able to do that. And he was doing it at a time when Judah was running to catastrophe and they really were right on the edge of the precipice of the Babylonian invasion. Well, I've said enough. A few conclusions quickly. First, I think it is worth remembering that whom God loves, he warns. And God does not waste words. So God was speaking through Jeremiah to the people who were disobeying him. And he was speaking through Jeremiah even though there was no immediate response. But nobody when judgment came could turn and say, God, you didn't warn us. Now, we want to win souls. My great prayer this year is that through one-to-one, not not just through ministry publicly, because one would expect people to be converted there, but through my personal work, I'm praying, Lord, I want to win souls through my personal work. But there is a sense, and, and we've got to be careful with this, but there is a sense in which even if they're not going to believe, they're not believing, they need to have heard so that they have been warned. We do it with love and compassion, but we speak faithfully. Now when God loves, He warns. And He warned the cities, He warned the nation, He warned that the temple would be destroyed. And then secondly, whom God uses, He prepares. God never wastes pain. I I really feel, in many ways, I've had an incredibly comfortable life. I grew up in a lovely home. I never once heard my parents argue. I wish my kids could say that about my wife and me, but but I never once heard my parents argue. This stable home. I went to a good school, and you know, in so many ways, everything's been very, very easy for me. But there have been some issues, and some of you know about them. I've written about one very dark period there have been some issues but it was all part of God's purpose if, if I'd never suffered at all I couldn't be anywhere near as effective as I am now and I'm not that effective but I couldn't be anywhere near. God uses these things to refine us I, the, the greatest burden I have is the burden of unconverted children it breaks my heart to see Christian families who have brought up their children to love the Lord and, and then they wander away. They become prodigals. They become wasters. They become, etc. And the only purpose I can see in it is that that leads the parents to greater prayerfulness, greater crying out to the Lord for their child. I don't know any other. It, it just seems so dreadful that parents are going through this and that's another issue. Uh, but God is the workman working on us and we are as it were to be his masterpiece and he will chip away at us and sometimes that refining that chastening even can be very difficult he's the potter we're the clay and sometimes he has to sort of destroy us bread rebuild us so don't despise god if he's taking you through a tough time he is using that for his purposes for your good for his glory and yes for his purposes I love this quotation from Gladys Aylward. I I recently re-read, well, no, I read a a biography I'd not read of hers before. And I I, I was so blessed by this. So, again, she'd got nothing going for her. Not well educated, not well refined or anything. But what a soul. Listen to this. I had tea with her, by the way, once. I just thought I'd tell you that. I I think I was about two. (laughs) And, And she came to our house for tea, apparently. Anyway, this is what she said. I have not done what I wanted to do. I have not eaten what I wanted or worn what I would have chosen. I have lived in houses that I would have not looked at twice. I longed for a husband and babies and security and love. But God never gave them to me. Instead, he left me on my own for 17 years with one book, a Chinese Bible. I don't know anything about the latest novels, films, theatres. I live in a rather out-of-date world. And I suppose you say it's awfully miserable, isn't it? Friend, I have been one of the happiest women who ever stepped on the earth. I've known the heavens opening and the blessings tumbling out. Isn't that lovely? Tough times. We will have them this year. We will. You will. I will. But God is not going to waste them at all. He never wastes any pain. Thirdly, whom God calls, he equips. He doesn't waste any experiences. God has a plan for us. He's called you. He's called me. And he's going to use us. I once read 1 Corinthians 1, 17 through to 2, 4. And it's about God choosing the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. And et And somebody whispered to me, that's your job security, Roger. <laughs> it is. You know, if I if I could do it all myself and I've got everything going for me, hmm, so easy. But I haven't. I I know my inabilities. I sit and listen to a David Ernie i and think, oh wow, I wish I'd got half his brain. I sit and listen to a Stuart Burgess. I think I wish I'd got a millionth of his brain. You know, and uh, but but I haven't. You know, I haven't got that ability to study, to remember, to analyze, to create it, I, I just. A very, very ordinary... And we probably, most of us anyway, are just like that. And yet, he equips us. God has a plan for us. And he takes us and he uses us. Jeremiah didn't have these things going for him. But wow, what a character. And then finally. Whom God appoints, he protects. God does not play dice. Now... God is well able to protect our reputation if somebody abuses us or maligns us, slanders, libels us. He's able to protect it. God is well able to protect us physically. There are many stories, I, I heard David Encher again on, on CD a little while ago about somebody coming to attack somebody and they just said in the name of Jesus put down um, whatever it was, your hammer or whatever it was, and they just did and fled. God's well able to protect us. But if God allows us to go through some sort of trial, physical, emotional, whatever it is, He knows again what He's doing. No prophet, more than Jeremiah, had such a thankless task. And yet none was so, well, it was more magnificently and heroically true to what God had called. Uh, him too. He, he, he kept to that sort of sacred ministry he wasn't going to budge from it he had this sense of I am immortal till my life's work is done and I think we need to remember that sometimes I, I fear a little bit and I'm, I'm very fearful about a sort of accusation that could come to me a false accusation I think David Cameron did a terrible thing when he did away with the, the law of um, corroboration so now it can be one person's word against another And I read two or three years ago, and some of you will know the details, of that Assemblies of God minister in the southwest, 72 years of age, and a woman said when I was 14 he interfered with me. And he said, I have never interfered with anybody in my life, and I have no idea who this woman is, I have no recollection of her as a teenager or a child or anything. I just totally refute this, but it went to court and he went to prison. One person's word against another—that is a terrible thing. David Cameron did, and um, I sort of—I yeah, I live in a bit of fear of this. What if somebody—and those of you who see me now—I I keep a million miles away from going um, anywhere where somebody could, you know. I sometimes you get—you go to a church and a woman wants to come and hug you, and I nowadays say, "Hey, don't. Do you mind?" Somebody could just take a photograph in that split second, and who knows what might be read into it? And uh, maybe I'm too extreme—I don't know—but but God is well able to protect. And we mustn't allow ourselves, perhaps I'm speaking more to me, maybe all this is to me and not to you, I don't know. We mustn't allow ourselves to be so sort of cornered into a situation of such fear that we dare not do what we know we've been called to do. And that's why I find Jeremiah so inspiring, so helpful. Faithfulness through all those terrible times and yet he stuck to his word. And if anybody heard the well done, Good and faithful servant from the Lord Jesus. It must have been him. And again, didn't Christ set his face steadfastly toward Jerusalem? And all that could be said of Jeremiah was said of Jesus. But he went to the cross and he did die and he did rise. And we simply follow him. I'm sorry, I think this has been a little bit more of a sort of therapy counseling session from me to me. But I hope there's been something that is of help to you as well. The Lord bless. Martin.